Yes, we're here in the studio again. Samuel Chisichetti and Alida Robinson. And uh, we're going to be continuing our discussion today on the Ten Commandments. That's right. (laughs) So, Samuel, um, we've been exploring the Ten Commandments. So just to give us a bit of a summary, um, we had a look at, at their shell you know, there shall not be to you the gods of others. You spoke of old gods by new names, yep. um, like the god of power, the god of sex, money, and so on, um, gods of culture. And last Sunday we spoke of syncretism, the mixing of practices of worship of false gods, demons, with Christian worship in the church and by believers. And we talked about yoga and, and some of yep. the other things that um, <coughs> seem to, well, People think that they're benign, but they haven't yes. really discovered what the um, true meaning of these things are and what they've opened themselves up to. So That's right. it's been a very inter- interesting discussion. Yeah. So today, in uh, light of the the text of the second commandment, uh, I've got a couple of questions. Yeah. Um, the commandment reads, "I, the Lord, am a jealous God." Mm-hmm. Who visits the son, the sin of the father to the third and fourth generation, and shows his kindness to those who love him to a thousand generations. Yeah. So the question for today is, how can God be jealous? It sounds like an emotion that can only be justified in humans. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, very, very good question there, and I think we're going to explore that. Uh, I've I just loved, you know, the way you, you know, summarized the last two weeks we did, uh, looking at the, you know, old gods, new names, and looking at syncretism, which is the two, uh, I think, most obvious, also dangerous uh, type of worship, where, you know, nothing is new under the sun, you know, you may not call call the, the, the god that is worshipped today Moloch, Okay, the god of sexuality and and human sacrifice in terms of sacrificing babies in the hands of Moloch, but you may find it today uh, being you know we we want sex and we want it without without it being within the context of in which God said it should be, and we want to at every uh, turn and corner avoid the consequence, the good, actually, the good consequence of sexual interaction is conception of children. And what do we do? Uh, Well, of course, we sacrifice those children on the altar of our abortion laws. Mm. Okay, so, and guess what? 99% of abortions uh, in in these Western countries of ours is based on just sheer, I don't want the child. Yes. All right? Mm. I want the sex, but I don't want the child. And therefore, I want to have the sex with whoever I want, whenever I want. But if a child shows up, it's un- the child is unwanted. Therefore, the child must die. And if you're in Victoria, until the day that the child is supposed to be birthed, basically, the child can be killed just even before the child does the short journey to be out here. And so, and there we are. Uh, you know, we have seen the sacrifice of so many defenseless human beings and we have adopted the culture of trying to dehumanize them and trying to and that's the noise that can, can i tell you how the you know, sacrifice of moloch used to be done they would take the ch- ch- live children it will horrify you now when i'm telling about all the people all the all the generations but uh but when you're doing it you will be doing exactly what those people used to do what did they do they would put the, t- the child in the hands of this molten metal 
uh, with fire underneath it, and they'll make as much noise as possible in the banging cymbals and stuff like that so that it drowns the noise of the dying child as they're celebrating the god of sexuality. Mm. And that is Moloch, okay? How do we do it today? Well, call it choice. Call it like every noise that could make any case that this is defenseless human beings. You get shut down. You get told you bigot. No, no, no credible place, public place that can make any noise for such moral evil is going to give you any space. You know, whether it's television and radio and publications, everybody wants to drown the voice of the pro-lifers who are trying to say we cannot do this. This is evil, right? That's true. Yeah. Like, I can make that case. That's, that's the God of our culture right now. Mm. It is espoused in the culture. It is espoused in the, How about the God of money in career? You know, money is everything, you know. Money, money, money. Chase after it, get it, you know, and do whatever you can do. And what about the God of power? You know, look at how the way politicians grovel around here and everywhere to get power by any corrupt means they can get. And they, they, they do mea culpa only when they were caught. Yeah. Anyone who does mea culpa just because they were caught is not repentant. I can guarantee you that. Because if they were not caught, they were not going to come up and offer the information themselves to say, oh, look, I've actually been corrupt. I don't deserve to be in this position. Mm. And these things have infected the realm of the Christendom, has infected the realm of the church. You know, it goes all the same. You know, people who are, you know, represent, representative of Christ. No, I'm not saying that people can't, you know, stumble and sin. But when people go and do these things, and only when they're caught, that's why they come to repent. You're the pastor of a church, or you're an elder, you're, it's only when you're caught that now you're going to come, okay, well, let your repentance be sincere, that's first. And then we have to watch, uh, the church of God needs to surround you with care to watch that you actually bear the fruit of repentance. Yes, yeah. And so, see, ancient God, you know, new names, right? Yes. And then we looked at syncretism, the the fact that some of the, you know, false religious practices, like, you know, you know, for the sake of, you know, let's coexist and live together, you find people who are believers, including Christian leaders, going to bow before, you know, in temples of other gods, like the God of Islam or the God of Hinduism and stuff like that. I mean, why do you do that? Yes, they attend those sort of multi-faith things. Syncretism. Just, yeah, I get the examples. Only the Christians are naive in this, in this sense. Mm. If you went and asked, you know, a, you know, a, 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 an Islamic person, an imam, said to them, no, do you mind, for the sake of coexisting, do you mind believing that Jesus is God and do you mind make, doing the Lord's, you know, the, uh, the sinner's uh, prayer? No imam is going to do it. No mm. imam with his salt is going to do it. No Hindu priest is or with his salt is going to do it. And yet the Christian leaders are paraded within these temples and they say the shahada in there. And then you know, the, the, the call goes, Allah, they go on the knees. Yeah. This is not demeaning of the religion. Christians need to be stopped to be naive. Because mm. all these religions are, are actually evangelizing within the Christendom. They are evangelizing right here. Mm. But the Christians within the Christendom here in the West are told to never evangelize because they're bigot. Yeah. If you tell all the people that Jesus is the only way to God, that is not acceptable. So we are in a culture that is actually decided that idolatry is in. So the God of the Bible must be out. 
And if you're a Christian, you're a Christian leader, you're still burying your head in the sand, I'm going to tell you, you have bowed to idolatry. That is it. You've broken the first commandment. Mm. Yeah. It sounds hard, but that's the truth. And so we've even taken, say, we, we may say, well, we go to our churches, we don't, actually, we don't have a molten, you know, a little idol somewhere that we worship. But let me tell you, see, you have to actually understand the true definition of idolatry. How, how, how about we define, you know, idolatry, because we don't think that idolatry applies to us Christians of today. The paying of divine honor to any created thing, worship in the form of idealism or abstraction or mental quality. This is the Angle Bible Dictionary, page 512. Mm -hmm. Also, the Bible itself defined idolatry as covetousness, which is setting one's heart, mind, and anything other than creator and his perfect uh, and living laws above him. So once you start to set anything else about God's, the perfect God, you've committed, a, a, you know, idolatry. Idolatry, yeah, right. Yeah. And so you think, okay, we today don't don't are not idolatrous. Oh, we are. Think about it. God must be the object of our ultimate worship. He must be the object of our most ultimate thoughts. He must occupy our entire being. That's what the worship of God is. Mm. Now, when people just simply think of God only for a few minutes when in church, you know, you, you don't line your life and everything else you do according to what God says. You do it according to what you think, what you want. Yes, true. And that is the first proposition that was given to Adam. C.S. Lewis has got a really good way of saying it, mm. that the devil sold to Adam and Eve idolatry. That's what he did. Mm. That if you eat this fruit, you can set yourself in the place of God and then you can find your own happiness the way you want it and you don't have to have God's input in it. Yeah. So you see, to be idolatrous is to remove God who's worthy of worship on his throne and you sit on it. <laughs> yes. And most of these false gods you are actually bowing to, they're going to tie you down, but you're bowing to them just because you want to choose what you want. We do this sort of religious supermarket approach to Christianity these days. Yes, we do. You, you take biblical teaching that you like, and the one that you don't like, you check out. You know, they have biblical authority as long, so long as you like it. Mm. And it's interesting too because people will uh, sit in a church until the message from the pulpit doesn't suit them. Exactly. And uh, makes them squirm and then yep. they get up and go somewhere else and they somebody, start all over again. They just go church hopping. That's exactly right. Mm. Somebody at our church once told me, well, I come to church to feel, to feel good. I'm like, I'm happy if the gospel feel, makes you feel good. But remember, the gospel has also got the calling of uh, calling unto the sinner to change his ways. Exactly. And that come is not comfortable, right? Yes, that's right. And so if your purpose was to come to church every Sunday to feel good, well, then you've got to go to the church that tickles your ears. Yeah, that's right. In fact, it's not actually the preacher's not doing the will of God in the pulpit. He's doing the will of the people sitting in the pews. Mm. I went to a church that called me to go and speak on a, it was a, a, a um, it was, they were talking about mission. It was mission week. And so they asked me to come and preach. You know, I'm a missionary here in the West. No, okay, well, how about we have a missionary come and speak to us? So I went and spoke about the gospel. The gospel is the good news. The good news that what? That actually we were lost, we were sinners, and we actually delight in our sins, but yet Christ came and died for us. Mm. One of the elders at that church waited as soon as church finished. He was the first person. It's like he was waiting. Walked to me and said, why would you come here and say things like that, that people are sinners? You know, this makes people feel terrible and bad. We don't have to tell people things like that. 
We need people to be elated and, and feel joyful. And so, I mean, I, the good news must make them elated yeah. that they were sinners and they deserved God's punishment. Now, he has actually written off their debt. Yes, exactly. Why wouldn't you want me to tell them that their debt was being paid? Did Christ die in vain? He looked at me like I'd punched him in the face. <laughs> he walked away. Guess what? Never invited back to that church. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm talking about. Idolatry is when you remove God in his throne and you sit there or put anything else in his place. You could, as I was saying, you could pursue money, you could pursue sex, you could pursue entertainment, you could pursue all sorts of stuff. And if those stuff take the place of God, you are idolatrous. You've broken the first commandment. Yes. And I can tell you that today, our culture, including the church of God, we are so guilty of these idolatrous behaviors. Mm. You see, tell me, does God occupy, is God the first thought that comes to your mind when you wake up in the morning? Or is that that post on Facebook or Instagram where you wanted likes? Yeah. Especially our younger generations, yes, right? Yes, that's right. You know, what is the first thought that comes to mind? God, when you want to do something, the first thing you do, is it you do it because of God? What does God think of what I'm going to do? Many people don't even know what God desires. They think, why do I need him in my life anyway? I need all the thing else, but you know, Idolatry is when you objectivize God. What does that mean? He becomes the object. He must worship you. If he doesn't do what you want, you get upset with him. Yes. You know how many Christians say, oh, I can't go to church. You know, I asked God for this. He never gave it to me. A sister said to me, I want just get God to get off my back. I want to do whatever I want. But I'm a Christian at the same time. <laughs> I wanted to wrap this up. Don't think that the Ten Commandments are irrelevant now. They are not. No, that's right. From the culture to syncretism to your heart. Mm. What is your heart saying when you, like, when you think of God, when you hear God being mentioned? What does your heart do? Celebrate? Be happy like, oh, no, no. <laughs> now that he's been mentioned, what is he going to tell me to walk away from? Yeah, and that's often the fear, isn't it? Exactly. What is God going to reveal? That's yeah. why some people don't go forward for prayer because they yeah. don't want God to say something to the person that's praying for them yeah. that's going to reveal their sin. Exactly. Mm. And so you're attached to this thing more than you're attached to him. Think about it if you're in a, in a love relationship and you're attached to your phone then you're, you're, you're talking to your spouse, right? And you don't want them to open the mouth in case they say, darling, can you put that phone down? I want to talk to you. Mm. Huh? Yes. Well, you see that every day in a restaurant, don't you? Oh, yeah, it is, yeah. <laughs> People, so what families I'm, sitting together and uh, I'm saying all that, on their yeah. phone. Mm. Mm. So I'm saying today's worshippers who will go to church are as much guilty of idolatry as uh, or were the ancient cultures. Yeah. We're not that sophisticated that we think we are. No. All right. Well, we'll continue with the next part of our discussion uh, after this next song. This is Coffee uh, Anderson with Oh the Blood. Y'all back to the woods, man.
as white as snow. You're on 105.1 <laughs> Life FM, Benny Goes Positive Choice and we are discussing uh, well we, we discussed that, that first bit of that commandment you shall not make for yourself an idol of yes. any form of anything on heaven or on earth or on the waters below yeah. and uh, you shouldn't bow down to them and worship them and you've, you've wrapped that up for us Samuel but mm. uh, for it says in, that, in the next part for I the Lord your God am a jealous God. Mm-hmm. So you're going to talk about you know the jealous God, because it says here that he's punishing the children of the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. Yes. Very interesting, yeah? Uh, yeah, it is. Because you're, you've sat on that, I'm like, a lady's going to just simply let, you know, give me a free pass and not come back <laughs> to the question. But you have, which is beautiful. You've, you've sat on that question. Oh, God is a jealous God. In Hebrew, is Elkanah. You know, when you when you read this, those commandments in Hebrews, they are beautiful to read. You know, uh, you know the Lord is El Kana, El Kana, which means God who has jealousy, jealousy. All right. Now, when you start to think about it, you are like, hang on a minute, um, God is jealous. Well, if the other gods, because remember, these comment these statements are not. They are not unrelated. They are related. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Remember the first commandment says, I am the Lord your God who, you know, brought you out of the house of slaves, out mm. of the land of bondage, right? So, which was the Emunah uh, commandment, the mother of all commandments, uh, the statement of truth, I am the Lord your God. Then he mm. goes on, well, that there shall not be to you the God of orders. Okay? Mm. So, I am the Lord those orders are not God. False gods are not gods. And you shall not go and choose a false god to sort of worship them or do syncretism, uh, you know, associate them with me or just treasure them in your heart above me. Mm. But 
if they're false gods, so they're not God at all, why, why would he be jealous? Think about it. Jealousy, the way we understand it is like, okay, if you're a husband, you know, you've got your wife, and he's going to sort of go to other men who are all, all, also there. They're not false men. They're real men. They're men as much as he is. So then the man is jealous, right? Or the wife who sees a husband going to another girl get jealous. It's not that it was a piece of wood. No, that's right. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? But it's it's the distraction, isn't it? It's the taking your attention off the, the main game yeah. and actually being distracted to, uh, to, to make other things more important. But I, I'm, I'm sure that the best thing we can do is to study the word jealous. Cannot. Mm-hmm. Yes. Cannot. So the way I often do this is you go and find, you know, you can go and read your interlinearly, uh, you know, Hebrew and, and English Bible. And so you find the word and you find its strong root. Okay. The strong root of the word cannot uh, is the root of the word is the letter Q and the letter N. Okay. So uh, strong H7064. Yep. That's that's the, the, the reference. reference yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I like to do this stuff. So, Kana. Kana uh, has got these two uh, symbols that you need uh, to, if you go into Hebrew pictorial, uh, it, it has uh, two things that you need to, uh, to notice here. In the pictograph, you got the picture of this setting sun on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the the gathering of the light so that's the first picture the cue and then the next one is the picture of a seed right picture of a seed mm-hmm. so when you combine these two it my it means the gathering of the seed so you know the sun setting and the sense of the gathering and then the seed so the gathering of the seed gathering the seed so far when you're reading pictorially break like oh, it doesn't really make any sense now i'm going to uh, i'm going to spare you from all the hebraic analysis i can see i like when i see the question mark on you on your face like where are we going with this <laughs> exactly and so you know then you can add extra bits and pieces for example when you add the letter you know halef you know, remember, this is Kana. It's got an Aleph in it. Aleph is the first letter of the Hebrew uh, alphabet. Right. Okay? It's where we get the word Alpha. Okay. Aleph, Alpha. Mm-hmm. A. Okay? And in Hebrew pictorial, Aleph or Alpha is the head of an oxen with horn like that. Mm-hmm. And the pictorial representation of Aleph is the leader, the head of the house. Okay. Oh, yeah? Are mm-hmm. you getting me so far? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm putting the puzzle pieces together. <laughs> so, it's like you have the parent bird gathering the seed in the nest. Oh, okay. For its offspring. Offspring, yeah. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. All right. So let's keep analyzing the Hebrew pictorials because you're going to see how this is so important. So when the parent bird gather the seed into the nest to feed its um, um, its, uh, its offspring. offspring. Yep. The nest is the belonging of the parent's bird. Mm-hmm. Okay? And the parent's bird build that nest according to its nature. You see, different birds build a nest very differently. Yeah, different styles and different Right? Yeah. 
So it is within the nature of the parent's bird to build a nest for his offspring. Okay. Mm. Now, remember that you'll find that across the biblical, uh, you know, uh, b- biblical landscape, God being, God using the, the picture of being, him being the bird all the time. He actually told the children of Israel, I delivered you from the land of Egypt like an eagle. I carried you on my wing like an eagle carries its offspring. Mm. All right. Yeah. For example, Jesus says in the book of Luke, when he's talking to Jerusalem, when they didn't recognize him, he said, how long I have desired like a bird, like a hen, to gather its offsprings under my wings. And yet you have not recognized him. So you see, Elkanah, as it's written in Hebrew, gives you the sense of the mother bird, the parent's bird, building its nest according to its nature, to look after its offspring. Why? So that the offspring will grow in the nature of the mother bird. Therefore, the mother bird must make sure that the nest is under only the making and the control and the feeding and the upbringing of its offspring. And it would also be a safe place to be. That's exactly right. Mm. And then you add to that, Apostle Paul is writing in Acts chapter 17, we know the Areopagus discourse. He goes on to say, we are God's offspring. Mm. I'm tying these, these images together, right? Yeah. So God is the parent's bird and he built a nest and his nest is to keep his seed, the offspring, so that the offspring will grow in his nature, in his ways. So God wants his offspring to grow in his ways, to reflect his nature. And he wants not other seed to interfere with the growth of the nature of God within us. Right. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Yes, yes. So this jealousy is not a petty human emotion. When you hear the Jews say Elkanah, they're saying God wants the supremacy of being the owner, the maker of this nest, the the is the originator of this offspring. Mm. The offspring must represent and must be must reflect his nature, mm. and therefore any interference by any of the his arch enemies. You don't realize these false gods are behind every false god. We said it earlier. There is a a demon. Who are demons? Yes, the f- enemies of God. Exactly. Mm. Satan, the chief enemy of God, dragged a bunch of demons, angels, mm. with him who then came down. Satan was the first one who actually challenged God. Yeah. So what do you think? This God, all holy and all wise, who has his offspring, Satan hasn't created none of us. No. He hasn't made not even a planet. He hasn't, this entire universe is God's. And he has made humans. Out of all the species that he made, he could have chosen the ox or the, the God to be in his image. And yet he chose, out of the bounty of his heart, he chose the human being. Mm. It is in the human that he breathed the breath of life. So he chose it. And why would he, after having chosen the human, want his arch enemy to bring other teachings or the doctrines that will corrupt this precious, like who is man that you're mindful of him, scripture says. Yes. You've yes. made him just a little lower than Elohim. 
So God has given men such a privileged position. And so he wants to keep men so men will reflect his nature, is his offspring, so that his arch enemy doesn't come to throw in a seed. Yeah. Like uh, the devil did in the Garden of Eden. Yeah. That doesn't reflect the nature of God. No. That is the jealousy of God. It is a justified protective. It protects what is his. This yeah. is not, you know, human sort of pitiful emotions. No, this is legitimate. Mm. I mean, you guard your house with legitimacy. You, I mean, you keep your kids. What, how, how do you do when you keep your kids? You, you guard them like a, a mother bear, you know, around his uh, cubs. <laughs> it's justifiable. Yeah. We are his offspring. Is Elkanah, is mm. our maker, is the owner of this nest. And the other one, all the false gods are thieves. They're demons. They, they want to corrupt us. They corrupted Adam and Eve. Look at the world we're living in. Mm. So this is legitimate. God is Elkanah. He is, once you start to look at it from that angle, you are, oh yeah, he is justified to protect us. We are his prized possession. He made us. Yeah. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. He is a jealous God. Yeah, and it's not, as you say, it's not that human emotion of no, jealousy. No. It's really about protecting and and uh, and and us yeah, becoming all that we can be so that we're reflecting the heart of God exactly. as well. Exactly. It's yeah. right for protection here. Mm. And he's in there. Why would he not? Mm. Would you build your house and then just simply leave it open to some, some thieves and some people who are dirty who don't even respect the order within your house to just come and bl- bl- walk in? And if you say, no, mate, what are you doing? People are like, well, stop being petty. Yeah. Is that how it works? No. Right. Mm. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll, uh, we'll leave you just to mull our audience to mull that over for a moment. Um, we're going to go back a little bit in time and listen to Keith Green with You Are The One.
Oh, I can't get enough of Keith Green. <laughs> Great stuff. 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice. And um, I have to tell you, it's electric in the studio at the moment. <laughs> Samuel has gone off and uh, and he was talking to his online audience. So if you actually want to see the passion that's going on, that's <laughs> reverberating around the studio, just go to his Facebook page and you can see it live. <laughs> Is that okay? Yeah, I'll pass that on to everyone. It's actually fantastic stuff. So we, we're going to the next part of it. I think you've covered the jealousy thing and we, yes. we fully understand what we're looking at. Mm, mm. But is it then fair for God to punish, you know, the great-grandchildren of the sins of their great-grandparents? Because it says that God will punish the sins of the fathers to the third and fourth generation. Yes. So is it fair? that mm. those people that have not done that original sin, if you like, mm, mm. are being punished uh, for the sin of their grandparents, their yeah. parents, their yeah. great-grandparents. Yeah. Very interesting question, isn't it? It is a very interesting question. It's always been one of those things that I think puzzles a lot of people, yep. that this stuff gets passed down from generation to generation. How does that work? What does mm. that really look like? Mm, mm, but, and mm. Particularly when the blessing goes to a thousand generations. Exactly. So, That's, you know, it's unfair, a, like the... Well, it's it's better to think that um, the curse doesn't go for a thousand generations. Maybe you've got a little bit more time to work it out, but someone can draw a line in the sand. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, understanding that, I think, is important. It is, it mm. is. You see, I was, as, as, as you mentioned there, I was explaining to our online audience what, the, or, you, know, uh, you know, those uh, live on the radio may not have gotten. I was saying that what has made us go wayward as a church in the West is because we don't read these texts properly anymore. Mm. You know, your Bible, the Bible was not written to you. It's written for you, but not to you. Yeah. And so I'm saying to me as well, it's written for me, but not to me. Mm. It was written to the Hebrews. Yes. In a Hebrew language or during the days of Jesus, Koine Greek, right? And so when you have just, we have our translations, we, we plug in the meaning of what we understand, you know. In our own culture. In our own culture. Yep. We miss a lot. Mm. Oh, and we misrepresent a lot. We re- exactly. Mm. So I've read every time, I've come to a conclusion as a reasonable man <laughs> of a reasonable Christianity, <laughs> yeah. that everything that is written in the Bible, even the one that you arc up against so hard, it is very reasonable once you understand the meaning behind everything. Yes. Yeah. So, so just dig a bit more, go mm. to the Hebrew, and uh, what I explained there, you know, understand the Elkanah, the word Kanah was jealous. It, it's, you can find it. It's not that difficult. Interlinear Bible, go to the Strong Dictionary, find the root of the word, find the pictorial, and start to go through it. Just study a bit more. Yeah, and there are people that have preached on this stuff, so you can actually go and, and listen to you some can. really good teaching yeah. and read some really good books on it as well. Yeah. But I think a lot of people are very superficial. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We're a bit lazy. We don't want to go we do are that. Lazy. I just want to yeah. read it and just, you know. Yeah. And so, unfortunately, then our laziness end up costing us, right? Yes. So, what I would therefore say here um, in relation to, uh, you know, the scene uh, of the... Um, of the, the parents, yeah, the generation, the generational thing, of, yeah. of it going from so the third let's and let's look at it um, here, and the first thing you have to realize is that our translation says it pays the sin of the, you know, the parents to the third generation, right? Yep. We use the word sin there, yep. But in reality, the Bible has got three category of things that we need to look at when we're talking about sin. Mm-hmm. The Bible uses three terms. We hear it. And we don't really dissect it to understand exactly what it means. Yep. The first one is sin, and the Hebrew word for it is hata. Hata. Okay? Hata is the word sin. Missing the mark. You missed the mark. Yeah. 
We've talked about it here, Before, you know, yeah, yeah. yeah, wandering away from the path. Mm. So Hata is the first one. The second one, uh, so, you know, the missing the mark would be intentional, unintentional. It is in the now. You've missed God. You have not done his commands. You know, Hata. Yeah. You missed the mark. That's the first level. The second uh, one, the second word that is used in the Hebrew Bible is the word Pesha, transgression. Transgression. Uh-huh. So you've got sin, yeah. transgression. Now, in our evangelical churches and, and the understanding of sort of today, we think oh, it's just interchangeable words. No. Yes. Hata yeah. is not Pesha. Hata mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, you miss the mark now. So often it's, you know, action centered. You know, you, you, you broke God's command right now. Now, Pesha is different. Pesha is the crossing the boundary, crossing the boundary, okay? Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's one thing to break the law, but it's a different thing to actually cross the boundary and start living on the other side of that boundary now. Right. Mm-hmm. Transgression is when you've gone from hatha to you now have crossed the boundary. It's no longer, oh, I did hatha. But I live according it's, to it's this. It's become a lifestyle for you. That sin has become That's a transgression. lifestyle. Yes. yes. So that is transgression. Yeah. A second level. Mm-hmm. These two, these things are two different. All right. Yeah. Very different. The third one, which is iniquity. Iniquity. Havon. Mm. Havon is iniquity. And in Hebrew, iniquity means the moving of the boundary altogether. Removing the boundary. Yes. Yes. Removing the boundary altogether. And the Bible uses, uh, the, 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 way it, the way it is defined in Hebrew is perversion. Mm. Perversion. Mm-hmm. You see, Havon is not only that I cross the boundary, leave it, but I remove the boundary altogether. So there is no boundary anymore. It's all right. Did you see the light bulb go off? Yes, I can see the light bulb going off. <laughs> yes. So when you read Exodus chapter 20, it says, He pays the iniquity they have on mm. to the third generation. Mm. God is patient. He, wants, he gives the opportunity to the third generation for people to return from their avon. Yeah. Now, this is how iniquity is built. Mm. Iniquity is built from Hatha. To Pesha, to then Havon, where parents who have started, you know, start a sin, oh, a sin, and then people start to make the case for, well, no, that shouldn't be considered sinful. You know, it just should be the way of life. It should just be accepted. Yep. Just accept it. To know this should be celebrated. To this should be legislated so that it is a way of life now. Yes, well, we can see that happening, can't can, we? Can you see what I'm talking about? Yeah, exactly. Now, once the generation of people who have committed Avon, have committed Avon, they've now said anybody who actually comes and tells them the law of God get persecuted. Yeah. Because we have gone into Havon. Now we have a way of life that is perverted, has perverted the ways of God. And anyone who comes, prophet or otherwise, who came to say to us, return to the ways of God, we hate them because we hate the God who gave us the boundaries in the first place. Yes. Now there come a generation after that who were brought up by their parents to see the perversion as a normal way of life. Yes. And God still 
continue to extend his mercy. But by the time you get to the third generation, it's a point of no return. Third and fourth generation? Because think about it. A generation of people who have now taken this as a way of life, a generation is about 40 years. Yeah. 40 years makes a generation. It has taken a generation pretty much from the sexual revolution to where we are right now. Mm -hmm. We're passing laws that are accepting things that were absolutely unthinkable before. Yes, that's right. And anybody who says something about it get arrested, right? And put in jail. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's going to be a generation after this one of when this is just a way of life. That's right. And you need three generations ongoing. What would it take to convince that generation of Avon that you're going to return to where, where, you know, in the terms of sexuality, where God placed the boundary here? See how far removed? Yeah. So here it is a demonstration of God's patience. It's not God's unfairness. No. It's God's patience until God. See, God told Abraham, I'm going to let the Canaanite live here until the sin of the Canaanite has reached the point of no return. Mm. Now I will judge them. Yeah. If he doesn't cut it to the fourth, third generation, see, we're talking about him being jealous and keeping the seed. Yeah. And now that the false gods have injected these false seeds, what should he let it keep going until no? He has to cut it now. Well, the, nest the tree is, must be uprooted. Yeah, the nest has been demolished, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and the babies have been stolen. But you see, those who are faithful to him, to thousand generations, guess what? Because the multiplication of God's offspring, the God's nature, which is the reason why he created. He yeah. created so that his nature, his ways, his laws that are beautiful and perfect must be the way human have espoused to live by. But when we have a generation of people who have chosen Havon, iniquity, and we, we're watching that going right now, just in one generation, look at it. Yeah, and that's why it's so important for Christians to stand up exactly and right. keep the message out there and leave it in the public square yeah. because otherwise once it's silenced you have got a point of no return that's it. because there's n- nobody has there's no excuses there because they haven't heard that's it nobody's been telling them it is the reason why God had to put the end to the Canaanite yeah. he had to put the end to Sodom and Gomorrah for those reasons where people espouse a certain way of living yeah. now we, we, we want to be uh, people get upset about this you know we want to be God and tell him that he should let our have on how, think about if I come to Australia, I break the law of Australia once, I get arrested. Okay, well, you know, get punished. And then tomorrow I set an area where, you know, I'm just altogether espouse living against the laws of Australia is the way of living. Mm-hmm. And the Australian government should just let me, right? <laughs> and I, I set areas where I, I change the laws altogether. It's no longer Australia. It's basically, you know, the country of Samuel in some ways, right? Yeah. Yep. And so I don't care about the laws of Australia. I do whatever I like. Yeah. And so I'm, I've come a, a law unto myself. Yes. And so what the government of Australia would say, to be nice and to be kind, we just need to let them. See, we, we wouldn't let that happen. No. But we want God who has set a universe with his laws and with his nature, the laws of God reflect his nature, for us to go and start Hatta, and then we go to Pesha, and then we get to Havon. And, and if anybody says, hey, look, what you do? No, 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 don't tell us that because we are God. We should, we are upset that God would even dare to tell us that. Yes. Can you see the inconsistency? Yeah, yeah. And so that is where, when somebody goes, well, but you know, why would God punish? Like that question was asked. I'm like, you don't understand the forbearance of God. And 
you know, you're using those terms and in older translations of the Bible, those terms are actually used quite frequently. It's only in more recent translations where it's all just been encapsulated in that one word, sin. And so we don't have a full understanding of that. No, we don't. And so it really... The responsibility of those people that actually went and condensed this stuff to to a, a very small meaning yes. is is amazing because in in a sense they're really responsible they are, for yes. some of the ignorance that is yep. happening within the church yep. and if if our leaders are unable to figure that out when they're studying theology and going back through all these translations yes. and they aren't able to then translate that to in their sermons so that they're teaching the people below them yep. then it's easy to lose it isn't it that's exactly right yeah. and what, what you have is what the when you look at translations, the philosophy of the translation is what you need to be very careful about. Yeah. You know, when a, a, a translation goes, we just want to take that all, those old texts to just try to give it the meaning that the, today's person in our understanding can understand. So you get this sort of, you know, um, you know the, 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 the translation, you know, so if, if there is a word that has become a bit out of fashion or it has become a bit uncomfortable to use, do you know some translations start to translate sin, transgression, and iniquity as just mistakes? Right. There are translations right now that instead of using the words, you know, you know, Hatta, Pesha, and, and Avon, in their context, no, everything is translated as, I made a mistake. Mm. So you're, down, you're diluting this thing until... But still, you know, how do you know it's a mistake? Yeah. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, exactly. what, what, why, does it, why is it a mistake? Mm-hmm. So it, there's no real understanding of what that means that in means the context exactly. of, the, of what the Bible is teaching us. Yeah, mm. that's right. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Well, you saw the light bulb go off. <laughs> it was a big flash in the studio. And... Uh, Having come from a very uh, traditional sort of church background, um, you know, you you sort of understand how you can be taken down a path of not really fully understanding what the word yep. is saying because the people teaching you as a young person um, are not digging deep enough to be able to fully yep. help you to comprehend what God is, is saying in his word. Yep. So that is an awesome responsibility and maybe why the, the Bible says that those that teach are going to be judged more harshly they need to be than the careful. rest of us. They, they exactly. need to be very, very careful. All right, well, let's, uh, let's do some come home running. This is Chris Tomlin with uh, that beautiful song.
Just as you are, you're on 105.1 Life FM, Bendigo's Positive Choice, and I hope you're being blessed by what we've been talking about today. I certainly have, and uh, and I love being in the studio and learning something new, Samuel. It just yes. really gets me. It just gets me fired up too. Yeah. It's um, it's a fabulous thing, and uh, you're going to sort of wrap up this particular um, commandment that we've been looking at, yeah. and uh, and that makes us ready for the next one next week. <laughs> so I'll let you do that. <laughs> so what you therefore need to remember here, um, you know, you've got to look at sin, um, you know, transgression and iniquity from a number of levels, right? From a number of levels. Yeah. You've got to look at it from, first of all, from the all humanity level. Okay, what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is God made men uh, in such a way that one human being would represent all the rest of humans. Mm. You see what I mean? God made Adam as the first man. Adam in Hebrew means humanity. Adam means humanity. And we all know uh, from the Genesis uh, story that uh, you know, Eve and Adam were pretty much in one, mm. and then he separated them. So he took the, you know, by the taking on the rib, uh, you need to understand the Hebrew I- imagery. It that didn't mean really woman was literally the rib. Like, come, come, go, come, count, count in the ribs and see whether there's one rib, you know, missing, missing on. <laughs> All on the blokes have got one, one less. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what it means. Imagery means these two that were one, he separated them, male and female both image of God, and by putting them back together in unity, mm-hmm. okay, the two shall become one, so that the two being united and being one, then we produce offsprings. Yeah. You see what God has done? Remember, we are his offsprings? Yeah. And so, Adam from God, and then he splits them. There is male and female who are one in mm-hmm. reality. That's this, this why there shouldn't be a fight between men and women. We are different. Uh, men and women are different for a reason. They're complementary. Mm. There are things that men can do that women can't do, even biologically, just biologically. The things that women can do, even men wished, even if we did all plastic surgery on ourselves, we will not be women. That's it. Yeah. Like right now, we're debating, you know, what is a woman? Like, oh, stop it. 
Stop it, exactly. We headed in a direction of iniquity. Let's stop this. Mm. Right. All right. So, Avon. That's not our topic today. No, that's our topic. We'll come another day. So, and then from this one man, he, Apostle Paul makes a case at the Areopagus, Acts chapter 17. From one man, all races of men, I mean, all ethnos of men came from this one man. And so, the sin and the transgression of one man and the havon of one man can end up basically being transferred to an entire population of people. Mm. From one sin of Adam and the transgression of Adam and his iniquity, we have therefore ended up living a way of life that is not according to God's way of life. No, that's right. So you can find that entire cultures can live in havon. The entire human race can live in iniquity. Becoming enemies of God. And, and you know the text we read in Exodus? It says, you know, the, the uh, third and fourth generation of those who hate God. Yes. Hate God. Yeah. Now, it's a very strong word that the Bible used, they hate. Mm. It, 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 it means we don't want him. We just know anything to do with him. No, that's, that's, that's what the, the word hate is a very strong term that the, the Bible uses. Mm. So you can have from an entire humanity... Uh, you know, point of view, you can have iniquity becoming a way of life of any it has been since Adam. Yeah. And then you come to Isaiah 53. Mm. He, the Lord, put our iniquities, all our iniquities upon one. Mm. And that's a beautiful thing. That however, however much and how far we've gone in our iniquities and becoming the enemies of God, God in His grace has created the space he has himself introduced himself into human history and as I was saying uh, last time I don't know where, 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 I don't know whether he was on the radio it was just in a conversation between you and I that you know he, he, he came in here sinless yes never committed sin never committed transgression no iniquities were found in him mm. this is why he said that the, the prince of this world is coming and is found none of his him none of his seed in me Mm. Not, there's no seed of him in me there was no seed of Satan no way of life carved up and set up by Jesus to live by and to commit iniquities against God in Jesus the way Adam had done so God took the iniquity of us all and deposited on him mm. so that our iniquities will be wiped away that's the first thing. The way God dealt with the iniquity of the entire human race was to take one man, one man who represented the human race, introduce the iniquity, you know, sin, transgression, you know, hata, pesha, avon. Mm. And now God introduces the incarnate Son of God, which is the most beautiful, uh, you know, act of God's grace that has ever been. A culture like ours that is walking away from Jesus, from the beauty of the good news of the gospel, is a culture that is deliberately walking away from the greatest grace that could have ever been given. Yeah, exactly. Every time the church runs away from the preaching of the gospel, the grace of Christ come into the world to take upon himself the iniquities of us all, all the havon. Mm. He just didn't take the sins. He didn't just take the sin you committed. He didn't just the transgressions. The Bible says the iniquities, the havon of our alls was him who knew no sin became sin, so we became the righteous of God. Mm. This is how God deals with the idolatry in the Havon of people. Yeah. Now that's 
from the old human race. When you're dealing with a culture from a state, you know, sort of, you know, small ethno, ethnic groups, you see your culture starting to run towards Havon, you've got to start to warn them by presenting the solution of God to Havon of humanity. That's Christ. Yeah. But also in your own personal life. Ask the questions. You find certain things in your bloodline, in your family tradition, family culture that are against God's ways, but everybody just accepted it. Mm. There's Havon right there. I like to sort of decrease down to the Havon of individual people so that you can run to Christ because he will take care of your own Havon as well. That is the gospel. The sin of idolatry, the breaking of the first commandment has got an answer in Christ Jesus. Amen to that. Well, as I said before, I hope that uh, our listeners have been blessed with uh, with what uh, has been is being presented through the Ten Commandments and seeing the relevance still um, of the Ten Commandments in mm-hmm. the life of of the individual and in the life of the church, and uh, and that um, understanding exactly what it is saying to us is really really important, rather than glossing over it and putting our own cultural um, ideas mm-hmm. in that place. Mm-hmm. All right, well, next week we will tackle the next one. Um, if you've got any questions, please put it onto Samuel's Facebook. You can go to a Reasonable Christianity's uh, website too mm. and you can put some questions on there if you've got some things that you think that we have not quite covered and you've, you've got a question in your mind and you would like Samuel to answer it. We can start the program next week with a little bit of a wrap-up of those things too. But in the meantime, uh, be blessed and we'll catch you all again next week.